Jack LeBrock. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. We're now in the final week. It's happening this week. Finally, Supercars are back on track, Sydney Motorsport Park, for a two-day event. And the races have been shortly shortened by one lap, which is a surprising number, but they've gone down from 33 to 32 laps. Don't know the specific reason for that. Most of the other things say the same, but they're racing this Saturday and Sunday. Uh, it's pretty terrific they're coming back on, of course. Uh, Fox uh, has them almost exclusively, uh, apart from a replay, I think, on the uh, Saturday night and maybe Sunday afternoon. But, uh, Craig, uh, it'll be uh, certainly good to see real cars back on real tracks again, won't it? Indeed, we're going to have some excellent racing too, I think, because everyone is absolutely uh, revved up and ready to go back out onto the track. Now, what has been fascinating this week is the fact that we've seen the new calendar put out for the, and I should say the new interim calendar, so we know we're locked into the BP Ultimate Sydney Super Sprint, but the Truck Assist Winton Race. Now uh, you have to wonder with uh, Victoria going back into stricter lockdowns, what might happen there? Uh, Darwin in, in the Triple Crown in August. That looks like it's going fairly well. The Northern Territory seems to be recovering. Um, from the coronavirus lockdown quite well. I'm still hearing stories about Townsville, um, but I guess it's uh, perhaps going to be a little bit like the uh, the Grand Prix. It could be uh, a Mexican standoff of whoever cancels it has to pay. Um, that's Yeah, whoever blinks first. Yep. Yeah. Um, then the Penrite Oils sand down, and I'm hearing it could be two 250 races now, it's in September, and that leads into a, another story. So we'll drop the calendar now to talk about uh, Sam Shaheen. He has let both barrels go in a very interesting way. He hasn't come out and said that, you know, the bend is uh, going to be, you know, vicious and legally uh, aggressive about what's happened. I'm sure they've got a contract and there will be contractual uh, ramifications to the decision to drop the bend. But it's fascinating that, well, Sandown is going to be running and at, up until last weekend you'd think, oh, yeah, by September there will be crowds there. But, gee, you've got no guarantee of that now after we've seen this little bump in the road. So, Tony, your take on that? Indeed not. Indeed not. Um, and as part of this revised 2020 schedule, we've seen the second Bathurst and the New Zealand events dropped. Both of those were going to be running in uh, the 2021 season as such, or the new year, but not part of the 2021. So they've come back and they're going to finish the year at uh, – uh, where are they finishing the year? I've forgotten. For Sydney Motorsport there. Parks under lights. Where does- that's correct. Uh, under lights, yep, that's it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's interesting in itself. Um, uh, it's, uh, it means there's no Pertec Enduro Cup with just the one endurance race, that being Bathurst. Yes, there can uh, be. Because no Gold Coast. There can be a Pertec. Well, I, I for, 
for many years, the USAC Gold Cup was given to the winner of the Indianapolis 500 along with the Borgwana Trophy because the only race in the USAC Gold Cup was the Indianapolis 500 once Card had broken away from using USAC. So there's no reason why yeah, right. you can't give out the, the Pertec Cup and the Peter Brock Trophy at exactly the same time. Look, it's a great shame that, you know, Talon Bend is certainly a, a very attractive track and Sam Shaheen obviously built it believing that supercars were going to be there, but who could have foreseen a pandemic on the horizon? Um, it's certainly something that no one could have put in their equation for motor racing or for any sport that's whatever. Um, I, look, I think that... Uh, um, supercars have done a reasonable job, although there's one person in, on the Gold Coast who's uh, come out pretty pretty big in, in a Sam Shaheen sort of way, giving his opinion on it all, and that's good old Tony Cockhead, uh, Cochran. Sorry, um, he's given a couple of barrels as well, and uh, uh, aimed mostly at uh, his uh, successor and Sean Seymour multiple times down the road, of course, but. Uh, Given him in the Gold Coast Bulletin, he has a regular column. And uh, supercars have come back and, and sort of said, uh, or no, they haven't replied to Cochrane, have they? There's been nothing uh, about that, has there? No, not, so. not to my knowledge. And interestingly, yeah. uh, I've only read Bruce Newton's story in Auto Action uh, reporting on what was said in the Gold Coast Bulletin because I haven't read the Gold Coast Bulletin myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, you know, I think there are some points that Cochrane's probably got a, a good uh, fix on in terms of uh, television and uh, getting a calendar right. But um, largely, I think, you know, Seema certainly tried very hard. Um, it, it's interesting that the events that are well and truly um, looking likely to happen are the ones that, as you mentioned, that uh, the ones that the government's have put in that being both the Victorian, um, the South Australian, no, not South Australian, the Queensland. Perth. Um, is West Australian, Barbagello? Yep, there's definitely some uh, Does that have funding there. Yes, there is. Government money, yeah, yeah. So um, it's uh, it certainly hasn't been a clean uh, changeover to a new calendar, um, and I think there's quite likely to be more changes still to come. Um, the race teams are, are getting ready. Um, interestingly, Sydney uh, Team Sydney has now happened because the transporter actually never went back to Queensland after the Grand Prix. It has been in uh, <laughs> in hiding, so to speak, and has now delivered the cars to Sydney in what was the old shed where the radical um, cars were housed at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park is now where those two cars, those two ZB Commodores now live from Team Techno to become Team Sydney. So they're all ready to run. Um, Alex Davison has got uh, good news that he's picked up a engineer in Chris Stuckey um, and that uh, Alex and his team owner, John Webb, are, are driving down to Sydney in the next couple of days uh, getting ready for uh, this weekend's first event. How do they the get through the blockade? Restart of the uh, 2020 schedule. The, the Queensland border know. is physically oh. blocked. Uh, I don't know. Mm. Oh, that's 
Yeah. It's a fascinating one. I, you know, I know that the trucking industry, the freight industry is still running. So it's obviously you've got ways of getting through, but they must have the uh, all important permit so they can get back. Well, isn't, isn't, yeah, well, that's the important part is the getting back part. Um, I, I imagine they must have them. And I suppose it's probably easier to do when you're driving in a car than uh, flying in a plane. I don't know. But that's another part of the equation that uh, these teams all have to take into uh, their calculations. So um, drivers, uh, I'm sure mostly the ones I've spoken to, and there have been a few, as we recently to Dave Reynolds, I've spoken to Chris Pither, um, that they're all just jamming at the bit and looking forward to uh, turning the engine on and just getting on a track, uh, a real track. Um, as we know, it's a... Uh, Scotty McLaughlin and uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, who are the first and second in the uh, E-Series, um, finished that way, and uh, they've been enjoying enormously something that they do in the pastimes, regardless of whether they were racing regularly. So it's interesting that uh, they'll be fronting up for their first drive uh, very soon. I don't think there's been any racing for Shane. Has there been in New Zealand? No. No, he's only been doing the online stuff no. and then probably fanging around the farm in a, in a beater. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing is that's uh, just been come through is that Andre Heimgartner has just uh, won his second New Zealand V8 title, which is terrific. Andre is a driver who has well and truly uh, earned his stripes. He's been doing wonderful things uh, in our series for the last couple of years. He's another of the graduates of the Paul Morris Motorsport Academy um, and a very successful young driver, very, very pleasant to deal with, and uh, he's uh, destined to continue to climb up the ranks. Just um, before other we, news around? Yeah, before we yes. move on, I have uh, I've contacted Supercars and I've asked the following questions um, for some background as to the effects, if any, of Victoria's rollback of the COVID-19 restrictions at this weekend's event. I note that the NRL has moved the uh, Melbourne Storms game and they won't be playing them in in Melbourne now. Um, And most states, as we've mentioned, are advising not to travel to Melbourne. Now, will this have any effect immediately on teams travelling from Victoria? And then... How does it affect plans for Winton? Now, as we go to air, I've had no response from supercars. So we will uh, let you know once we do get that response. But I think it's um, very important to think that whether you've got so many teams coming from an area that's in a hotspot, you know, you certainly wouldn't get into South Australia without 14 days of isolation. And will this impact? Will perhaps Queensland teams get told, well, if you're going to be in such close proximity of the uh, Victorian teams, you're going to have to do 14 days of isolation because that would, that would be a huge impediment. So we're looking for supercars to give us some clarification on that. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock, and this week we've got a name and a face that's familiar to many people in the supercar paddock, but he's in a, a different role nowadays than what I first met him in. That's Sean Scott of Race Fuels. Welcome on board, Sean. Thank you, Tony and Craig. Uh, good to speak to you outside today. 
Look, it's fantastic to uh, to get you on. I've, I've, we've thought about it several times over the years, and suddenly the recent news about uh, hand sanitizer suddenly prompted us to get into action and do something. We'll get around to that later on. First of all, Sean, I want to go back to your motor racing history. Tell me, where and when did you first see or get involved in motorsport? Um, for me, motorsport started nearly 50 years ago now. Um, yeah, I'm due to turn 50 this year. Um, and was introduced uh, to motorsport through my family's involvement, um, primarily my uncle, um, a name that many people will know um, as probably one of the leading administrators of uh, motorsport worldwide. Uh, Peter Nelson was his name. Um, and through him, his primarily, yeah, Peter Nelson, who was the race secretary for the Australian Grand Prix for 25 years probably. Um, including the very first one in Adelaide. Yeah, a, a lovely man. I've known him for 30 years. I know he died recently. Um, and just a wonderful, wonderful character. Yeah, thank you for that, Tony. But, yeah, he, he was my introduction. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, him and uh, his wife, Marcia. And uh, Marcia, when I was a, a youngster, um, yeah, Marcia and I used to go to the, the uh, track at Sandown, Calder, um, Phillip Island, Winton, um, as youngsters, uh, Growing up down at Phillip Island with um, a couple of guys who are still, I suppose, prominent in, in motorsport in other areas. Um, one guy, James Taylor, who's now the assistant race director for Supercars. Um, and another uh, another one, Darren Smith, who does a lot of commentary for um, the Challenge Nationals or the CAMS Motor Racing Championship, where all three of us are of the same age and uh, yeah we grew up at Phillip uh, Island back when we were wee kids from um, from zero on Thanks. to probably about seven or eight when the track first closed when did you um, where did you come from where where's your family from um, Melbourne based um, always been Melbourne based and uh, right from the stories, I believe my father actually introduced Peter to motorsport, but um, it was Peter who uh, continued on with a, with uh, an absolute passion for it for, for the rest of his life. That, that would go back into the, I suppose, mid to early 60s. Now, I, I first met you in Formula Ford days. I don't think it was Steve Owen. It might have been slightly before then, but... Um, and... Uh, uh, and of course, uh, Jason. I can't even remember J- Jason Leafling, Leafting, uh, yep, from New yep. Zealand. Um, yes. Now you, you were involved in Formula Ford before them. Uh, yes, yes, and no. I mean, um, been involved in um, other forms of open wheeler motorsport, um, other forms of motorsport before that as well. Um, but the Formula Ford introduction came post um, Formula Holden. And uh, I ran a drive school out at Calder at the time um, using Formula Fords. And uh, we had guys like Steve Owen, um, Jamie Winkup, um, Paul Dumbrell at the time, coming out and doing some um, coaching and driver training in the Formula Fords for uh, either uh, gentlemen drivers, corporates, up-and-comers. Um, and that was my introduction to Formula Ford. And that was, yeah, 2002, 2003. Um, 
from there, I did a couple of race meetings with Mike Borland. He asked me to come along because we, we actually did a few race meetings with um, a couple of the school cars and uh, even a national round out at Sandown and was uh, a top 10 finisher in a uh, in a drive school car out at Sandown in a field that uh, had another guy in it called uh, Daniel Ricardo at the time. Um, so that was my introduction to Formula Ford. And then uh, a couple of race meetings with um, Mike in 2003. And um, the 2004, sort of Mike asked me whether I'd be interested in uh, setting up a, a satellite team for um, the Spectrum. And uh, yeah, we started with the new uh, O10s at the time and uh, Steve Owen and Jason Leaping. Yeah, okay. Well, I still catch up with Jason whenever I'm in New Zealand. He's a wonderful young man and father of two or three nowadays. Um, he's yeah. been over the Grand Prix, I think. Uh, uh, no, he didn't come out for the Grand Prix. He was planning to um, with a initially a PCR car um, and then to um, help support um, uh, S5000, but um, that didn't quite eventuate at the end of the day. So uh, yeah, haven't I haven't seen Jason now for probably eighteen months, but we probably catch up on the phone yeah every four to six weeks. Your love was always open wheelers, was it? Yeah, I always have a preference for open wheelers, pure race cars. Um, look, I, I mean, I, I I remember the, the Formula Five Thousands, the um, uh, Mondials, the Atlantics, whatever you want to call them uh, at that time. Um, and, and look, you have an appreciation of uh, the touring cars. I, I suppose that the big names of our era or of my era, that the Brocks and the the Moffats, um, etc. When I was growing up, um, Johnson a bit later on than that. Certainly names that I, I remember and remember seeing and had plenty of photos and posters um, of the time. But it, in working on cars, absolutely, um, would much prefer it to be open wheelers as opposed to sedan cars. And you did get involved in Formula Holden. Yeah, yeah, worked, worked through Formula Holden um, through an association uh, with uh, Formula 3000 and then, uh, yeah, coming into um, with Reynard and then, yeah, coming and working on the Reynard cars. Well, actually, it was prim- to start with, it was a Lola that I was working on and then um, with the Formula Holdens back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Good drivers <laughs> in, in Formula Holden. Uh, back through the Mark Noski era, um, Akihiro Asai, um, Jason, um, who else we have? Just trying to remember the uh, Austrian guy in New Zealand. Um, but yeah, a bit too long ago now, 20 odd years ago. <laughs> Roger um, Oakshop is another just one. Just thinking now, thinking now to 5000s. I'm sure you've yep. perused them and obviously would have gone out in the workshop and seen them at Mike Borland's. Um, are you yep. pretty enthused by the, the category? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I would just love to see them um, see it succeed. I mean, it, it, it's everything that um, anybody who, who loves motorsports has got to be enthused about. I mean, they're big, they're fast, they're noisy. Um, it, look, there's a, a little bit of... Um, rawness to them as well. I mean, in, in terms of the, the technical aspect, a little bit of agricultural as to what um, you might see in some of the other big open wheelers around the world. But, I, I mean, that's got to be a plus because it, it, it adds more to the driver element as well. But, um, yeah, I 
couldn't think of anything better than um, it, it being a successful category. I think one of the most encouraging things I ever heard was at Sandown, that first race meeting last year, when Tim Macro got out of the car. And I've known Tim, you know, since, uh, well, Formula V days, maybe even. Um, and he said to me, he says, they're bloody hard to drive. And I thought, that is exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, the last thing we need is a gentleman racer car. We don't need, you know, in the expression of old farts getting into these cars, we need young blokes who are wanting to yeah, build a career, and uh, that was fantastic. Um, so when was the last time you were involved in, in a race car? Um, last time I was involved in a race car was, well, go back 2015 or 2016. I can't actually remember what year it was, but um, 2015, I was just referring back to, to a photo. Um, Scott Andrews, uh, one of my Spectrum Formula Fords up at, um, up at Bathurst. I looked after Scott. Um, for a year, 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 eighteen months, and um, probably do a bit of mentoring with him beyond that as well. And uh, yeah, went to went to Bathurst um, uh, with with one of the um, Formula Fords where we were successful. Um, but yeah, Scott was uh, as another guy who I, I ran him in the state series um, for for a year, and then he went off to America and won the um, the, the US. F1600 championship in uh, 2015. I remember, yeah. Okay, so um, fast forward then, uh, the open wheeler situation in Australia is sort of dying on the vine, so you saw an opportunity with race fuels. Uh, not so much saw an opportunity, was uh, was was forced into an opportunity. Um, was working in Super 2 at the time. Um, the, the team that I was running decided that they weren't going to uh, continue on to the next year, and that um, that decision was made very, very late. And opportunities within the, the sport at the time were very limited. And um, yeah, it became an opportunity at at Race Fuels to join Race Fuels, and uh, yeah, that uh, rewinds now ten years ago. So, were you engineering for Howard Racing back in the development series days? Might have been. No, it was uh, with Tony Delberto Racing for a year, and then I worked with um, Jeff Emery and Tony Bates for two years. What was uh, what was the change like then to getting involved into being a supplier rather rather than all those years having uh, you know been turning spanners and and uh, being involved in the gritty side? Yeah, I mean it was. It, to be honest, it wasn't much of a change, or it didn't feel like it. Um, at, at the time, ratios was quite small. Um, they were the and still are. Had, had taken on the um, distributorship of the Elf brand probably only a, a couple of years earlier. They were the Victorian distributor, but it's uh, I suppose had taken on the national distribution only a couple of years earlier. Um, did a little bit down at Target Tasmania, which. That had sort of got dried up. That was dried up as well. So, at the time, did the, the production car twelve hour and the at Bathurst and um, a couple of um, smaller uh, tarmac rallies. But apart from that, that's all it was doing in terms of event servicing. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a it was a bit of a slowdown, I suppose. You, you reduced the, the intensity of um, Working for race teams and, and the turnovers um, 
event to event or between event and testing. Um, so this was a, a lot slower pace and a bit, bit different pace. Um, but I, a lot of what you and, and learned through, um, I suppose, being an end user, I've, I've, I've found valuable and I think it's been valuable um, for the business in, in understanding what not only, I suppose, the, the bloke who's trained to build um, needs in a supplier, but the, the person who's um, dealing directly with it, whether it be a mechanic or a uh, team manager. And so getting around to uh, where this story started with news about uh, race fuels providing a sanitizer for, for all your teams, yep. um, what, how did that evolve? Well, look, uh, this has evolved out of the, um, the COVID situation. Um, ethanol is, is the major component of the fuels that it's uh, used in, in supercars. Um, in past years, through the various um, fuel brands, we've dealt with third-party suppliers. Um, the product's been already blended, already made, um, and we've just picked up and then packed and distributed to the um, four supercars. This year, with BP and BP's involvement, we've they've relied upon us a lot more to be um, the product provider. So we we collect ethanol directly from the um, the ethanol plant ethanol supplier. Um, when this all started, we uh, started to get a couple of phone calls from people chasing down ethanol. So, um, yeah, we, we followed up, um, found that we could get the product that uh, was was relevant to hand sanitizers um, and to sanitizing products because there, there are different, those grades of ethanol um, out there. Um, and what the, the producer also found out from us is that look, we were we were flexible, we were agile, we could react quickly, um, and um, they needed somebody who could package and distribute um, their products through uh, throughout Melbourne because a lot of other small businesses were, were looking at their own opportunities to, to make a hand sanitizer and distribute it. So uh, yeah, we um, dealt directly with a company called Manildra, who's the biggest supplier of ethanol in the country. And uh, yeah, we're picking up um, in bulk, sort of fifty thousand litre deliveries, and uh, yeah, package it into primarily thousand litre tubes and distributing it through Melbourne. Um, from there, backing into the the, the workshop sanitizer. I mean, we've, we've been seeing some of the protocols and processes that are needed to be in place. Um, COVID, I suppose, processes, and just thought it might be a good idea that we had access to the to the product. We could produce the product, package it into um, small quantities, because that's normally what we do with our racing fuels, um, and add another layer of protection for um, the supercar teams and improve the um, the COVID procedures for um, yeah, the supercars events to, to press forward and, I suppose, lead the way in terms of... Um, professional motorsport um, returning in this country. And, of course, you've been supplying fuel throughout this time over the last three months to the teams when they've needed it? Yeah, when they've needed it, which um, really hasn't <laughs> hasn't been a whole lot. Um, the, the, the racing side of it and demand on the racing fuels has sort of uh, picked back up in the last fortnight or so. Um, but to, to be honest, from the Grand Prix until yeah, not much more than 
fortnight or so ago, it was it has been very very quiet on the uh, the, the racing front. Um, but uh, look, the, the the distribution of the ethanol um, has been a godsend for for us and, and kept us alive um, to the point that really we've probably done something the equivalent of um, four years worth of uh, fuel distribution to motorsport in um, in three months. That's a nice little uh, pick up on the side, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, without saying, I mean, we we were fortunate, um, but I also believe that the, uh, I suppose the the agility that um, businesses in in motorsport have um, also makes us um, accessible and or not just accessible, but um, a very important commodity when you're looking at um, these. Having to having to react quickly, like um, the ethanol supply was. What's interesting is you you mentioned about the E eighty five, and I do want to come back to that. But you also supply the fuel for the Australian Formula One Grand Prix. Now, how does that go when the Grand Prix doesn't go ahead? Is the fuel that they're using in those engines significantly different to what you would sell um, throughout a normal year? Yeah, well, we we don't supply directly for the Formula One. Um, they've got very specific fuels for them. Very similar to a lot of the, the um, importer products we supply, um, but not direct. Um, not not a fuel that we have in stock or we supply direct. Um, in saying that, um, we also do, do a number of international um, events as well and uh, yeah, we've had some had some issues along the way in recent times, not just with with COVID, but the uh, we were going to supply for Rally Australia, which uh, was obviously um, cancelled due to the bushfires. Um, the idea we've still got got that fuel in stock in Australia. Um, the idea originally was that could be moved towards the Rally New Zealand, which has now been cancelled for this year again. Um, for 2020, we uh, are all were or are going to supply um, uh, GT World Challenge Asia um, and it moved fuels into both um, Malaysia and Japan um, for that season. And, uh, yeah, we're still waiting to see how that develops over the next, next few weeks or months. What is interesting, and is it an old wives' tale or is it a case that fuel does go off? It, it can uh, lose some Not, of its it, properties? No, not in a steel drum. Um, within a steel drum, it's within its own environment. Um, the, the racing fuels in terms of packaging into a drum, um, you're using inert gases um, to, to secure the, uh, the, I suppose, the additional environment because you can't fill the drum right up to the top. Um, but nothing can get in or out of a drum um, if it's sealed correctly. So it, it won't go off. It's effectively, the only time it'll go off is when it's... Um, uh, eats through a drum and falls out on the ground, and it can't bring any contaminants into it other than might be the air gap um, that's between the fuel and the top of the drum. So a wise tail in a drum, in a service station situation, um, very different because they need to vent to atmosphere. How do you inject oxygen into the high octane Not oxygen, fuels? Ni- uh, nitrogen. So the, the nitrogen, you... you so you, you can just purge the um, the drum with nitrogen. Uh, so it, 
I thought some of the off products had uh, a percentage of oxygen. It's oxygenated, yeah, they're, they're oxygenated, but that's to do with the um, the chemical elements. So the chemical elements through reaction um, generate their own oxygen molecules. But that's to do with the, uh, the 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 additives that they use within it. So you, you're not actually putting oxygen into it. Um, it's a chemical that through its reaction. Um, will generate its own oxygen. So does that help at ignition where it gives it a better Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it will help. Obviously, it's like adding um, a a larger um, intake. (laughs) Now, you were mentioning about the ethanol. A few years ago, you had to supply some, was it E70 for one particular car? No, no, it wasn't. Well, it was E70, but it wasn't for one particular car. It was for um, two brands at that stage uh-huh. um, at, at Winton. So at the, the time, very early on, and it was to do um, with fuel consumption. Um, if the, the, both the, the Nissans and Mercedes were um, having um, issue with fuel consumption, um, compared to the, uh, the the holders and the boards at the time, um, if anything, and this is contrary to what um, many would like to believe, if we pro- provided an E70, um, if anything, it would have slightly hurt their performance um, ability and horsepower at, at the time over um, a, a, an E85, um, but it would have helped their fuel economy slightly, and that's. That was the uh, the idea behind providing an E70, but it, it wasn't just for one car. It was for seven cars at the time. And it goes to show that two of the cars got their act together that day and the rest perhaps didn't. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. They, uh, they they won on merit. Um, the only thing was they even the fueled up slightly with the uh, the fuel consumption um, and, and really that was the only effect if, that if anything, the um, those who were running on the E70 may have um, had a, a slight performance disadvantage over if they were running E85. For somebody who's been involved in motorsport as long as you have, you must be itching to get back to a racetrack. Very much so. Um, you kind of forget it uh, uh, how much your sort of life uh, revolves around it. Um, I mean, as a, as a business. We developed, as I said, ten years ago. We were doing effectively two or three race meetings. Um, these for well, for 2020, we were uh, heading towards 55 um, events that we were going to supply direct and, and service direct, um, with potentially additional more um, as, as some of the smaller state series developed, and uh, and also heading into New Zealand as well to look after their um, primary race series as well. So. We were, yeah, looking around about six, 55, 60 events for the year. So, yeah, having a, a hiatus now of, uh, what are we, 12, 14 weeks um, is something very, very different for us, whereas uh, our main downtime is uh, between the middle of um, uh, December to sort of middle of uh, January, and that's a big gap for us normally. Yeah. Yeah, you must be putting through uh, enormous volumes, litres of, of uh, fuel of all 
of a number of different types. Um, and, and as a consequence, having some clout when you get to the uh, uh, cash register, so to speak. No, yes and no. I mean, um, the, the difficulties um, are is that we don't have the clout. We don't have that much clout. We're still, when you're talking about imported fuels, we're still uh, a long, long way away from um, from Europe um, to, to get any benefit there. And then when you talk about, um, I mean, some of the, the fuels that we supply, pump fuels and, and managed controlled pump fuels, um, our volume's insignificant. Um, compared to what a, a service station network might be, um, yeah, they, they're, they're dealing in the uh, hundreds of millions of litres a year. Um, we're dealing with maybe a million litres a year at the most through all of our, um, uh, our our ventures, whether it be supplying um, motorsport events or just supplying the um, the racetracks as we do with um, say Sydney. Phillip Island, Sandown, Winton, where we've got um, permanent setups for the supply corporate day. Are the changes in format going to drastically alter the business for you? Um, yes, yes, and no. Um, in some of it, you just end up with some flexibility around the way that we operate. We've got um, multiple size vehicles. Um, different types, so we can carry bulk fuel around. We can carry carry packaged fuel around. Um, so yeah, it, it's just about, um, I, I suppose, managing each in, each event individually. But in saying that, we 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 do anyway. Um, the way that we treat a Tasmania or we treat a uh, um, is different than the way we may go to Perth or, or go to Darwin. Um, so it, it's really looking at each individual event. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll treat Sydney the same way as we will treat um, going to New Zealand. Okay. Um, I imagine that you would have heard of the recent sort of uh, discussions that maybe New Zealand might be off. Um, uh, I, I, look, I'm not going to ask you to put yourself off, but it's about the calendar and the, wanting to finish the series this year. Um, yeah. you, you've got no firm degree on any of that as yet, I imagine. No, every, everything seems to be very fluid and, and changing um, changing regularly. And uh, again, I think that that's um, one of the things that people within motorsport are quite used to is, is that um, flexibility and agility, whether it be someone like us as a supplier or whether it's been a race team that's um, uh, looking to either um, do a test day and bring that forth or, or develop some new parts or... Uh, Brings new personnel on in, in place, so um, yeah. I mean, we, I think we we forget that yeah, this sport or this industry um, demands that that you can be quite responsive and agile. So our ability to react to any of those changes um, uh, is isn't detrimental to the way we go about doing business because that's the way we've got to do it um, every day. Is there much? more development that can be done with fuels. We hear that, you know, fossil fuels are coming to the end of their life and, uh, you know, woe with the fossil fuel industry. But is there much change that can be done to fuels now to see how performance and motor racing will will develop? Potentially there's, there's lots of developments. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the biggest driver of, of, 
I, I suppose what I would call um, a, a racing fuel is is um, is Europe. Um, the FIM regulations, FIA regulations, karting regulations, they all base their fuel regulations around um, what's permitted within the um, European fuel standards. So the fuel that is used in a Formula One car or a MotoGP bike technically could be used in a road vehicle in Europe. Um, and all the elements within it must be elements and, and um, to maximum or minimum levels that uh, are permitted within European um, road fuel. So that kind of, well, not so much stymies, but restricts how much development can be put into um, uh, to, to, to petrols, uh, how that leads on to other, other forms of fuels down the line, who knows. Um, but yeah, fossil fuels might be a, a, an issue down the line. Um, yeah, you're just not going to get. To, I, I think one of the effects of um, this motorsport is also a, a, an oral experience, and uh, I'm not sure that people are going to get that out of uh, electric cars as much as they didn't out of um, out of diesels and struggling a little bit even with the uh, um, highly efficient turbocharged vehicles that the Formula One. Oh, well, that's uh, all to come in the future. One question I would like to ask you is, for somebody who's been involved in young drivers and developing drivers for a long time, is there anybody that you'd like to maybe not put a bet on, because I'm not really big on gambling and any sort of sport, but is there somebody that you think this year is going to stand out either as a a rookie in the series or as just a young gun, um, or do you think it will be the usual culprits? Um, either being in shell or uh, Red Bull colours? Look, I, I think it'll be the usual culprit. Um, in saying that, I, look, um, I'd certainly like to see someone like Anton become a, uh, a, a regular winner. Um, he's a, a, a guy who's been looking outstanding talent um, and... Uh, Certainly got the desire, I think, on the racetrack um, to, to be a, a consistent winner. Um, I, to be honest, I could quite honestly see him becoming a little bit more prominent than um, David within that team. If not this year, maybe next year. Um, other guys, look, I, I know that uh, Nick Perkett certainly put in a lot of effort in this uh, this downtime as well. So sure that uh, he might come out um, and been a little bit more competitive um, than we have seen in, in years past because he, he's used, I, I know that he's used his downtime to uh, really prepare himself better than ever. Um, and look, there's, there's some other guys on the, the outset uh, who, who may not be in supercars at the moment um, who have the potential um, yet in the years to come to, um, to be uh, upset the I suppose, the, the incumbent. All right. Well, I'm sure Craig is like myself, that we're both jealous of the fact that you can go and are, in fact, required to go to Sydney Motorsport Park, whereas the media are not allowed. We are to stay our distance away and therefore have to electronically watch it all. But uh, thank you very much, Sean Scott, for joining us on Inside Supercars. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope that maybe by the time Winton rolls around, I'll be come up and be able to say good day and have a coffee with you. Hope so. Hope so, Tony. Thanks for that. Thank you, Craig. And so that's certainly a good look at uh, the way in which 
Sean Scott has moved into the race fuels business. Craig, uh, it's something that uh, I, I really not know much about. Uh, yourself? No, I've certainly known a, a few different suppliers over the years. I, I was involved in, of course, Speedway, where we were using methanol for years, not nece- not ethanol as such. Um, and then when we were racing in the States, we were using, uh, well, they called it pump gas, but it was pump gas from a racing fuel supplier. So, um, yeah, very interesting. We'll see, um, of course, supercars on Fox Sports this weekend, on KO Sports, and then the Foxtel Go and Foxtel Now apps. So uh, that is live and ad break free. And as you mentioned this week, you'll get the replay. So um, it's from 10.45 a.m. Saturday. And when you consider there's only one class racing and they're going to probably go through to what, six o'clock? Um, that's going to be a long broadcast. It'll be very interesting to see how Nathan Prenegast and his team put together a uh, a one-spec uh, broadcast, and uh, I'm sure they will uh, do a wonderful job because one thing about Supercars Media and their television production crew, it is world-class. Indeed. I, I see that they're uh, having a virtually the same commentary team uh, for this weekend that being of Neil Crompton, Mark Scaife, Jess Yates. No Greg Murphy, no Rihanna Crehan. Um, Mark Larkham's there in pit lane, I think, is uh, doing his job. Yep, and I, we mentioned that... So uh, it'll be good to see. We mentioned that a few weeks ago, actually, that uh, Rihanna and Will Davison will, won't be at a, a round um, for the first time in a, in a long, long time. Indeed not. Anyway, that's it for this week's show. Um, the next time we'll be talking to you, it'll be all over at Sydney Motorsport Park until the final round later in the year. But uh, it's uh, certainly looking forward to this racing this weekend, Craig, and I'll leave it all with you. Thank you for me. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.